Hello and welcome back to the Moses and Methuselah podcast. I'm Jonathan Davis and in this series, Peter Silen and I draw on our many years of working in the financial markets to chew the fat about current topics of interest, whether it's stocks and shares, politics, diplomacy or even books and films into which we sometimes also wander. We hope that you'll find some value in our friendly but often very different perspectives, one continental, one UK centric on the big issues of the day. Well, Peter, welcome back to the uh, Moses and Methuselah podcast. It's very good to uh, talk again. We're recording this on December the 8th, still a couple of weeks or so to Christmas and three weeks to the end of the year. And the good news is we're going to talk about the state of the world, as always, and take a look at what's been happening in the financial markets, where we've reached a very, I think, interesting and critical juncture. We've talked about all the issues that have been uh, hanging over the markets this year, higher inflation, rising bond yields, the war in Ukraine and the COVID lockdown in China, all these big events. But in terms of the financial markets, we'll just kick off there. We've actually seen the last five or six weeks uh, a significant uh, rally in the stock market and a decline in bond yields in most markets. So um, the big question I suppose we ought to just attack, first of all, is whether this is the start of a counter trend or whether it's just a typical short-term rally in uh, equities and bonds, which have been uh, obviously much affected and down this year. What's your starting point on that, uh, Peter? It's nice to be back online, Jonathan. I noted your words, we've reached a critical juncture. And it got me thinking, if you go back any amount of time in the decades that you and I have been looking at the financial markets, you could actually pick any point in any year at any time and conclude that we have reached a critical juncture. In this case, I think we have really have reached a critical juncture because the question is, have we experienced a dead cat bounce or have we experienced the bottom and the market turning? In the past, during the course of this year, you and I had uh, slightly different views on whether the rallies that we went through, probably three or four of them, were the real thing or a dead cat bounce. I was arguing that it could be the real thing. You were arguing that it was a dead cat bounce. I was wrong and you were right. However, there is a difference in the background between what we're seeing today surrounding the rally and what we saw in the last few rallies, which turned out to be dead cat bounces. And I think the difference in background is something that we ought to be discussing today. Yes, I think that's very fair. We have moved on a long way on a number of measures. I'm going to be making the argument that actually this is just another bear market rally. I haven't been convinced that we're at a turning point. However, I'm watching the charts quite carefully because they tell you a lot about the balance of supply and demand. And to that extent, I think we are at a critical point where a lot of the technical indicators have reached a point where if they go on, if the market continues to rally from here, that will then force me to re-examine my assumptions. And then I might uh, join you in the more bullish camp. However, if markets turn tail again now, uh, which I think is quite likely, then I think my thesis will still be intact. So to that extent, that's what I mean by being at a critical juncture, because just looking at the charts, supply and demand, the technical indicators, that would seem to be consistent with a turning point. However, we have to be open-minded. The great thing about uh, financial markets or equity markets in particular, perhaps less so with the bond market, is that you have to approach them with a degree of humility, I've always found. (laughs) They'll often do things that take you by surprise or we'll be anticipating things that we haven't yet thought about ourselves. 
And one aspect of that, I think, is the situation in Ukraine has evolved a lot since the invasion by Russia back in the, the first quarter of the year. It's very hard to tell what's going on. We know that essentially the Ukrainians have resisted the Russian invasion, and there is a kind of stalemate in the south of the country now. The Ukrainians have had one or two successes, and Putin is bombing civilian targets in Ukraine. But I'm also reading a lot about uh, the fact that the Americans and the French have been you know, talking quite seriously about the possibility of a negotiated settlement, a negotiated end to the war. And of course, that could be quite a big game changer. I think we mentioned that last time we spoke, and something that was at the back of my mind might be the big thing that would change dramatically. I wonder what your intelligence is on that matter and how far you think that affects where we might be in the market cycle. I don't think I've got a lot more intelligence on this question than you have. But I must say, when I read that the Americans and the French are pushing for a negotiated settlement, I suppose on the one hand, you can argue that it's good because anything that will introduce peace in Europe has got to be a good thing. But actually, looking further beyond that, I think it would be an extremely dangerous state of affairs to negotiate with Putin after he's occupied 20% of Ukraine, because if you reach out to negotiate with him, you're never going to get back these illegally obtained swathes of Ukraine, which are Ukraine, they're not Russia. And so if Putin is confronted with a negotiated settlement, then that will enable him to sharpen his knives and get poised to do the next step. This is something we've discussed on and off over the last couple of years, what the Russians have got their sights on geographically and geopolitically. And I think the Central European part of Europe would be endangered big time if we had a negotiated settlement along these lines. The only settlement that is possible, in my opinion, and in the opinion of President Zelensky, is that first the Russians have got to withdraw completely from the occupied territories, then they would sit down and negotiate. Now, whether that's going to happen, each one of us has to make up his mind as to the likelihood of that happening. But I think at the end of the day, it's the Ukrainians that have to decide the conditions on which they would sit down and negotiate. And it's not for the French or the Americans or anyone else to tell them. This said, to answer your question, it would probably introduce a bit of certainty or let's say, dilute the uncertainty in financial markets. But in terms of you know the future, I'm not sure that that wouldn't be a false sense of security. I mean, so much for the Ukraine war. Yes, I guess my take on this would be that you're absolutely right. There would have to be preconditions for this. And of course, the Americans continue to say, President Biden continues to say, of course, it's up to the Ukrainians to decide etc, etc. But one wonders whether real politique will come into this at some stage. But the positive outcome would be if Ukraine effectively, its borders were guaranteed by NATO, but NATO would not actually put missiles on there and so on. That would seem to be the basis of a settlement that, if you like, Putin could, at a stretch, justify to his own people who are increasingly unhappy about the way that the war is developing. He could say, well, at least there's no threat from NATO expanding eastwards, etc, etc. Whether that would be uh, something he would, of course, take any notice of is another matter. I was listening yesterday to the uh, CEO of Raytheon, which is one of the defense contractors in the States, and he was saying the Americans have sent so much materiel to the missiles and so on, and anti-missile equipment to Ukraine, 
that their stocks are running low and so on, and that is a concern for for them when they have other things to worry about as well, not least China and so on. I don't know the outcome of that, and I think none of us do. However, I mean, it could have an impact. Obviously, one of the terms which would be of interest would be whether or not the Russians would be able to resume selling oil and gas to Europe and to the rest of the world, whether that would be part of a negotiated settlement or not. We have seen commodity prices come down, um, but they have been a little bit distorted by these guarantees and subsidies we're seeing being introduced. So I'm not sure that that trend is going to continue indefinitely. Uh, but that would be a significant boost to the prospect for the Western economies, developed economies, and Europe in particular, if we could see oil and gas prices come to more stable level. Would you not agree? Completely agree. Think of the years when oil prices were moderate or low. And of course, that's going to boost the economy. I think we're quite far away from falling oil and gas prices actually boosting the economy. I think the falling oil and gas prices now uh, have the purpose of delaying or weakening the impending recession, if you like. But again, I always think that financial markets are there to look ahead, to look beyond, even if investors, especially at a time like this, the time horizon of investors is uh, something like three weeks right now. They don't really think what happens beyond. And so I think what's going to happen in the next three weeks will potentially be quite important for Q1 of next year. I wonder if it would be useful to go through the bear case and the bull case and the middle ground, especially in light of the slightly different outlook that you have compared with my own outlook. So you're more in the bear camp. I'm more in the bull camp. And I wonder whether we shouldn't exchange views at this point. Maybe you could make your case for being bearish, and then I will make my case for being bullish, and then we can see what stands in between. Okay, so I start with the premise that we are going to move towards a recession, clearly in Europe, but also possibly in the US. That's clear-cut in the US, but I think it is definitely coming. We know that the signals from the bond market, the yield curve is inverted and so on. That's traditionally one of the signals that you might we will be having a recession. Obviously, there's still a lot of money sloshing around in uh, people's bank accounts because of the massive stimulus that was undertaken, both fiscal and monetary, after the COVID pandemic. And that is what's been keeping the economy ticking over, essentially. If you look at the money flows, consumers are still drawing down that money and so on. Uh, but as we know, everybody is drawing in their horns. They've noticed interest rates are rising. They've noticed their mortgage costs are going up. They've noticed that uh, energy bills are going up and so on. So I think it's pretty baked in as far as I'm concerned there's going to be a recession. Now, the only question is whether the market has already discounted that. Uh, we've seen a big sell-off this year. The US market is down, what, 17% or so, something like that, year to date. But all we've seen so far effectively has been a contraction in multiples. We haven't yet seen the earnings come down sufficiently to start actually fall, which I expect will happen next year. I think that's the second shoe to drop, if you like. And that's what will lead to the uh, continuing bear market in equities. The Fed is still determined to go on raising interest rates, which said it will do. And I'm not one of those who think they're going to give up on that. They may delay the rate at which those increases go up. And the extent of those increases won't be 75 basis points, might be 50 basis points. But there's never been a time when the uh, Federal Reserve has stopped tightening in the way that it is doing at the moment when unemployment is so low as it is at the moment in the US, unemployment being a lagging indicator. So I think it's fairly clear that what we're seeing is 
uh, a bear market rally, which you always get. Sentiment was very negative back in, in October. It was so negative that uh, it justified uh, markets picking up again. But it's all following the classic pattern of a bear market rally. And unless or until these uh, technical indicators I've talked about, if they do uh, demonstrate that the, the markets continue to rise from here, the equity markets continue to rise, uh, then I'll have to rethink my thesis. But at the moment, I still think that we are heading for a recession. And typically, if that happens, we will see about an 18-month bear market. And it started in March this year, I suppose, January, March, depending what number you take. Uh, and I would think, therefore, that we're looking towards the third quarter, fourth quarter of next year, second half of next year, before we see the stock markets uh, start to pick up. And that will be the time to cash in on all what by then will be very cheap equities. So that would be where I'm coming from. And as I said, I think markets need to fall further. Very interesting. All the points you make are more than valid. Uh, they're pretty important and pretty crucial. I only want to point out that although the market is, let's say the American market is down 17% year to date, I think it was down a lot more before it bounced up to reach the minus 17%. I'm only mentioning that because the lowest point of the year was anticipating, as markets do, an impending recession, impending or at least a future recession at some stage. So there we agree and I think, well, I also agree with you that it's, it's it's likely that there will be a recession. Now, you can argue whether it's going to be a deep recession or a shallow recession or a long one or a short one and all that. But the markets don't go down for no reason at all. So I agree with you. Where I think that we might have a slightly different opinion is with regard to the Federal Reserve and other central banks influence on share prices. Because throughout this year, the Fed, having realized reluctantly that it was behind the curve, it started going in the opposite direction, being very aggressive, more aggressive than one would have thought. And that didn't do the market any good because it was accompanied by rising bond yields. But I think that now one has potentially reached a point where you have to ask yourself, what is the bigger influence on share prices? Is it A, the Fed, or stroke the central banks? Or is it B, the bond yields? And to me, the fact that the, I always come back to the 10-year bond yield, but it fell very dramatically compared to where it was when it reached its highest point, which was something like 4.3%. Now it's down to 3.4%, which is a huge drop. And of course, the other maturities also dropped. Now, I agree with you that we have an inverted yield curve. I agree with you that that signals recession stroke stagflation. And I agree with you that that is going to happen. I quite agree with you. But if you look at the big problem that we had all through this year, which was a very sharp liquidity squeeze, which was bordering on a crisis from time to time, I think there, and this is what is starting to make me bullish, is that this liquidity squeeze has markedly improved in the last few weeks. And the last time we had our chat, we agreed, you and I, that what really needs to happen is that the dollar needs to roll over and the external value of the dollar needs to come down. I always felt that what needs to happen, what must happen, usually does happen. 
And this has been a classic case of everyone crowding in into the dollar until there were no buyers left. And the, the dollars lost something like 8% in a relatively short period of time. And I think you as a chartist, you probably will confirm that quite a lot of short-term barriers have been breached. And that is reliquifying the international financial markets. And when it's combined with energy prices tumbling, whether the news is good with regard to demand versus supply, or whether the news is bad in terms of what the Russians are doing to push back, the fact is that energy prices have tumbled and seem to be continuing to tumble every day. And so you've got this combination of a falling dollar, falling bond yields, falling energy prices that, if you like, um, removes or alleviates one of the three pillars, let's say, or strengthens, in fact, one of the three pillars, which are growth, liquidity, and valuation, as we mentioned. And I think that what begins to be technical, then, as time goes by, transforms itself into something more fundamental. Just finally, on your point about earnings, I'm sure you remember that um, one of the dicta that one always fell back on is that you've got to buy cyclical companies when the P-E ratios are very high, which usually coincides with corporate guidance being lowered and earnings estimates being lowered. And the P-E ratio, therefore, the forward P-E ratio I'm talking about, sort of rises. But that has always been a good time to buy cyclical stocks. Jonathan, you know that I don't go for cyclical stocks. But nonetheless, this is very important because the bond yields are a very important guide for long duration assets of the types that I am invested in. So I think that's my bull case top down. Well, I understand that, and I can see that that could become a script that uh, I could relate to and could agree with. However, I would also make the point, though, that just assume for the moment that we are heading for not just a mild recession, but a bad recession. What would you expect to happen to energy prices and interest rates and bond yields in those circumstances? You would expect them to start falling, right? Yeah. That's what you would expect. So what yeah. we're seeing is not necessarily inconsistent with the idea that we're actually heading for a really bad recession. That would be my first point. I don't know whether that's the case because, you, as you say, you can't predict these things with any precision. But that would be the first point I make. I think the dollar rolling over is, of course, significant. One of the many indicators I do look at very carefully. And if that continues, then, of course, that uh, does lead to some loosening of uh, liquidity. However, the people that I've been talking to, I have some people I look at who follow global liquidity flows, money flows, and they all say that it is still tightening around the world. Many uh, other countries have had to raise their interest rates already, and that's having an impact. The Chinese situation is having an impact. Uh, and so uh, globally, liquidity is falling in terms of the measures that most people look at. And I think that's also consistent with the fact that whatever the recession is, we will certainly see earnings declines in some sectors of the economy, even in the US, which, of course, always defies people's expectations, always performs stronger than people expect. But I think that's bound to happen. I can't see any alternative to that. And I think that uh, what will happen then is that if we do see earnings declines, as opposed to this year, we've just seen earnings have been roughly flat across the market. Obviously, uh, companies of good pricing power have done better than that in terms of revenues and profits. 
And that's an interesting point. But I think if we do that, we will see further multiple contraction. And I think, bear in mind that though bond yields have fallen, they're still significantly higher than they were at the start of the year. That's going to continue to be a drag on the market compared to where it was when we started the year. So I think that that's yet to be seen. We know that uh, analysts' earnings consensus estimates always lag reality. They're always late to to spot earnings declines. And, uh, well, this might be the exception that proves the rule. But I think given the background of the Fed continuing to raise interest rates, which I'm sure it will do because it has no mandate not to do that, uh, I think people are going to be a little bit surprised. The other point I make is about inflation. If you're right and interest rates are coming down, the question of what happens to inflation becomes quite important because uh, obviously inflation, most people think it's probably peaked around now and will be coming down. But if you look at the headline inflation rate and then you look at the core inflation rate, which are two different measures, the headline rate includes energy and food and so on, the things that will be most affected this year. But if you look at the underlying data, it's the core inflation could remain quite high while headline inflation falls. And that will be a continuing pressure on the market and on consumers and so on. So I don't know. I think the data's mixed. I'd love to think you're right. And if you are right, then I'm going to have to change course quite quickly. Uh, so as not to miss out on the great uh, recovery that uh, may be happening. But I don't see it happening yet. I still think we're looking at the end of second half of next year before we actually get through all this. And and that leads us nicely into the grey area in the middle between the bull case and the bear case. And just to pick off the points you make, the bond yields have dropped, but they are still very high. Now, of course, one of my most spectacular failures has been in my prediction of how the bond market is going to uh, behave during the course of this year and partly during the course of last year, because I was of the opinion, you can remember, I said it many times and I was wrong every time, that the interest rates on the bond yields cannot really go up beyond a certain point because you've got these perennial bond buyers, whether they're life insurance companies or pension funds, who will, to a certain extent, take over the QE role from the central banks. I have been spectacularly wrong in that so far. But it could be that what we're seeing now is precisely that. After the terrible events in September of the defined benefit contribution schemes and the liability management program that they have, the markets seem to have quietened down. I say this because although I agree with you in part, I think it's the direction of travel of bond yields which is more important than their absolute level. And if they have stopped going up and are now settling at these levels or potentially slightly coming down, you can look at at the past history in stock markets when interest rates or bond yields were at these levels you still made very good returns from investments in equities. So we're not talking 10%, 15%. We're talking at levels which are, in real terms, still comfortably negative, if I can put it that way. It sounds pretty horrible to say that, but you know what I mean, because it means that the bond yields in real terms do not represent a challenge to share prices, a challenge to equity investors. And I think the same can be said of inflation. It's not so much the level of inflation, it's the direction that inflation is taking. And I agree with you, we've seen peaks, and I also agree with you that there's a difference between core and headline, and that core is stubbornly high, especially now it's suddenly re-emerged in the service sector 
there's an inflation in the service sector, which is relatively unusual. But still, I think it's the direction of travel that counts. If you look at the inflation expectations, they've also been more benign recently. And I think that that's based on the absence, and I mentioned it earlier, of a so-called wage price spiral. Because these trade unions, I mean, in the UK, what the trade unions are up to at the moment is absolutely abhorrent. And I feel very sorry for anyone who's living in the UK, where you have to experience a general strike on a daily basis until the new year. I mean, that is really horrendous. And it reminds one of the bad old days of the 1970s, which you remember very well. But whether they will succeed or not, the government doesn't look as if it's rolling over so far. But it's a similar situation in Germany, for example, where the trade unions have secured deals with their employers. But these deals are for fixed rates covering two years, the next couple of years, and it's far below the rate of inflation. So you have to be very bold to declare that the trade unions, however militant they seem to be, are back in charge. I think you have to be quite bold to declare that. And um, I think they're probably having their day in the sun. But the absence of a wage price spiral, I think, is very important in terms of one's inflation expectations. So that's the bit in the middle, the inflation expectations, I would say. Yes, but I think the UK is a bit of an outlier in that sense. As you say, at the moment, it's all headlines about all these public sector workers who are going to go on strike. It's not the private sector, it's the public sector. And they believe they have the power to uh, to change government policy. And the government's saying it's up to the employers to settle and so on. It's following the usual script. But there's no doubt that uh, they do temporarily have quite a strong bargaining power, or stronger than they've had for a while, the trade unions. But whether they're going to um, win in the court of public opinion must be very open to doubt, given that we're seeing ambulance drivers and uh, nurses even threatening to go on strike over Christmas, which seems to be particularly you know, designed to cause maximum uh, hardship to everyone. So that's obviously regrettable. But I think the issue here is that if you're right, we haven't seen the wage price spiral, what does that mean, though? What that implies is that as inflation is real, if people are getting below inflation settlements, they are becoming squeezed. They will be squeezed. The consumers will be squeezed. They have less money. And I say they've been working their way through all this cash that's in their bank accounts, foolishly provided by the central bank and the federal government in the US. Uh, they're working their way through that, but it's going to be a crunch. And if that's the case, the living standards are basically declining in real terms. I don't think we can say that isn't going to have an impact on the performance of the economy. And uh, so instead of a wage price spiral upwards, we might get a, uh, if you like, an economic activity spiral downwards. That would be, I think, the counter argument yeah. to what you're saying. Yeah, but that shows that we, we've reached a point of agreement here, Jonathan. Uh, and the agreement is that we both agree that the economy is going to head into a recession the world economy. Whether it's a deep or shallow, long or short is another question, and, and we can't really prejudge that. But I think we, there we definitely agree on. The difference between our views is that whilst we agree on that, you think that it will trigger another downward leg in the stock markets, whereas I think that it's already in the price. We may both be right here. In fact, the stock markets in the last couple of days would say that we're both right because the markets went down and signs of recession appeared even more. So we may for a while both be right. 
I think that if you wait for this third or fourth quarter of next year to start becoming positive, I think that the time between now and then, if I'm right, could mean 20, 25% upwards. Whereas if you're right, I don't think it would mean 20 or 25% downwards. Right. The background of this, of course, is that it all depends where you start from, doesn't it? And what kind of investor you are and so on. If, like me, you've been very cautious since the beginning of the year, had lots of cash and only stuck to high dividend yielding shares, like in the FTSE 100, which is actually still up on the year now, surprisingly, even though the UK market overall is down a lot because of its uh, you know, miners and oil companies, which have done very well so far. If you start from that position where you've actually preserved the capital that uh, you had at the beginning of the year, even if you're right and you get back to 25% gain, you'll only be back to where you were at the start of the year. So in a sense, you're still in a similar position to those who've been through the tumble dryer, so to speak, and felt the impact of the whole sell-off. That's not necessarily the right thing to do, of course, because you're still missing out on, on potential gains, which is why I say I'm watching it all very closely. I mean, it's very interesting that the, the S&P 500 is right up against this 200-day moving average. And that's the critical point normally, because this is what all investors and market traders look at. They look at these technicals, even if you don't understand exactly why they work. Uh, so everybody's looking at that and everybody's waiting to see. So it's not a surprise to me that last week they hit that sort of level, which is around 4,000 on the S&P 500. Um, and now it's sold off a little bit the first couple of days this week. But um, that is a sort of critical level. And if, if that doesn't hold, in other words, if the market doesn't go through 4,000 level, then uh, it would tend to suggest that we're still in this classic bear market pattern of ever lower lows and ever lower highs. And that's the one that I'm watching very closely. The dollar obviously had been a very, very interesting, the turnaround there. Uh, it looks a bit overdone at the moment in the short term, but I, I agree. I'd love to see that happen. I'd love to see the dollar weaken. Uh, interesting that gold has picked up quite strongly since the dollar turned. That's not entirely surprising either. So I think there's, there's so many things out there and it is a very difficult situation to say what people should do because it does depend on where you start from, what your attitude to risk is and so on and whether you're professionally committed to you know, one outcome or another. I start also from the point that valuations were very, very high at the start of this year. I think we can all agree that. We've seen some of those multiples come down on earnings, but I'm not sure that we're going back to those levels of multiples in the future almost regardless of what happens to the economy. I don't see people paying that high sky ratings for a lot of stocks that got to very, very high multiples uh, before, driven by very, very low interest rates. So I think we're not going back to the sort of golden age we've had for the last uh, decade or so for equities. I think we're going back to a slightly more mundane world, if I can put it that way. Well, anywhere in between those two scenarios would be good. It has to be positive. So I don't know. I suppose we'll see what happens in the first quarter of next year. And before that, we'll see if if your famous 4,000 on the S&P gets pierced, then we could be in for a, what they call a Santa rally. Otherwise, we'll all be or I will be disappointed. But either way, when we convene again in the new year, Jonathan, we will finally be able to look ahead <laughs> 12 months rather than ahead 12 days, as we're doing now. <laughs> yes, well, I'm a great believer in the Santa Rally. It's made me a lot of money in the past of sort of just trading through that. And most years, with the exception, I think, of 2018, it wasn't a very good strategy. But uh, most of the time, it, it works. And there's lots of behavioral reasons why that is the case, the way that fund managers behave and have to protect their positions and so on. 
So I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen, but I wonder whether it will reach those magic levels. If not, if it goes all the way down again, where could it go down to? I think we, we could go down to around 3,000. If it goes down to 3,000, that I think is the point at which you would definitely want to be uh, going back in. And in between, well, who knows? We'd have to we'd have to judge it as, as it happens. But uh, that's the sort of range I'm looking at, 3,000 to 4,000. If it goes to 5,000 before I've managed to get back in the market, I'll, of course, be very disappointed. But uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But I am watching it very closely. So I'm, I'm in the position of having to say that this could be your moment, Peter. This could be your big moment. I'd just like to finish yeah. with, that, with a quote I found from Warren Buffett. You know, someone used it the other day, which I quite like, which is he said that interest rates are to asset prices what gravity is to the apple which I think is quite a good way of putting it. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot depends what happens to those bond yields. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more, but uh, let's hope for the best, but uh, keep an eye out for the worst. Thank you very much. It was very pleasant and interesting as always, Jonathan. Thank you. Indeed. So that has been our latest Moses and Methuselah podcast with me, Jonathan Davis, and my friend and co-host, Peter Silen. Look forward to uh, having your company on the next podcast, which will be in January. You have been listening to the Moses and Methuselah podcast, hosted by Jonathan Davis and Peter Silen. These podcasts are independently edited and produced. You can subscribe to them on most leading podcast channels or by signing up on the Moneymakers or Eminem podcast website. Please note that these podcasts are provided for information and background only and should not be regarded as constituting professional investment advice.